So today we're going to continue in our series in the book of Hebrews. Um, last week uh, we kind of went forward in time, and this week we're going to go back in time. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 13. And let me read it for us. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not um, much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in Hebrews 12, uh, the author is likening, and we've been talking about this. This is our third, uh, third time in Hebrews 12 during this series. So the author is likening the life of faith and life in general uh, to a race or to a marathon. And he says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. And the word for race in the original language is agonai, which sounds like what word in the, in the English? Agony, exactly. And uh, it is agonizing to run a race, right? And in the life that we live in this body is one that is often described as agony. It can be interpreted as race, which is what is meant by this passage, but can also uh, be translated as uh, to struggle or to grapple or to wrestle. And so what the author is saying is just as those who run the race, uh, like a marathon race, suffer, all of us who run the, the race of life, and especially the life of faith, experience struggle and difficulty and trial. And today we're going to look at three things uh, from this passage. It's the proof of discipline, the paradox of discipline, and the purpose or the point of discipline. The proof, the paradox, and the purpose. But first, the proof. Um, sadly, in the United States right now, and, and really in the Western world, there are many theologies, and it's really one theology, it's prosperity theology, that teaches that if you just have enough faith, like if you're faithful enough, if you give enough, if you believe enough, if you pray enough, etc., that somehow you will rise above adversity. And that you'll just sort of fly victoriously over trouble and trial and difficulty. And I hope you know, if you've studied scripture, that that is not in line with what scripture teaches at all, especially this passage, but so many more. The very life of Jesus himself would scream that that is, that is not the case. It doesn't line up with scripture, but not only does it not line up with the Bible, it doesn't line up with our real life experience either, not at all. 
I once heard someone say that um, most Americans um, expect life to be filled with blessing and are surprised by suffering. But the rest of the world kind of lives in such a way that they expect life to be uh, filled with trials and difficulty, but they're surprised by good things, surprised by blessings. So on the one hand, as you think about as you think about suffering and trial and difficulty, it's somewhat mysterious. Uh, we know that God is not the author of sin, that God uh, is not the author of evil or death or disease, that these are a result of the fall. They were not a part of God's creational design. These things were not in creation. They were not in the garden, and nor will they be in our future, right? So they are not a part of our origin story, Suffering, death, disease, decay, all these things, the brokenness of life. And they are not a part of our redemption story either, thank God. It's not how we were created, and it's not where the story ends. And yet, as we live right here today in the Shadowlands, we suffer, and we go through trial, we go through difficulty. So when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, he not only wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. But the text says that he reacted in such a way to the death of his friend that he snorted like in anger, like, like a horse does when agitated, like, like, like an angry snarl or snort. So on the other hand, so on the one hand, this is not God's design at all. But on the other hand, God is sovereign over all things. And he uses the suffering we go through for our good. And so in this sense, the author is calling us to see that some of the trials and the difficulties that we go through in life are a form of discipline that serve as proof of love and of our relationship with our Father. They're actually a proof of it. He quotes from Proverbs 3 saying this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And by the way, that means sons and daughters, of course. Have you forgotten the exhortation? And then he's quoting directly from the Proverbs, from Proverbs chapter three. My son and my daughters do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord and don't become weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son or daughter that he receives. This word discipline here in the original, it, 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 it can mean like actual discipline in the way that we would normally think of discipline, like a timeout or a spanking or a direct result of you do this and therefore I'm going to do this. But it can mean also training and education or discipleship. And, and, and so what I want you to think about is there's multiple ways to consider this word. On the one hand, yes, it means discipline and you should receive it as such. But in life, it's, it's, it's not always wise to draw a straight line between I did this thing and therefore God is punishing me or disciplining me for it. Now, by the way, I, I made myself an error right there. Is the punishment is not the right word to think about here. But instead that God is disciplining us, educating us, training us out of his love. So the word means discipline, but it also means training and education. He's saying it is for training that you endure trials because God is treating you as sons and daughters. And he goes so far as to say that the absence of discipline would actually imply that you're fatherless, that you're illegitimate. He's saying that the difficulties we face aren't a sign of God's lack of love for us, but instead... It's the opposite. They are instead proof of a relationship of God as our Father. 
And as parents, every parent we know, a loving parent uh, trains and educates and disciplines their children. And we all may have different approaches to that. We may, we may have different ways that we go about disciplining our kids. But you, you do it because you love your child. And you do it because you want them to mature and grow and you want them to be strengthened. A lack of discipline, as you know, is actually a form of neglect. And so, uh, first, that point, and the, the next point is this, the paradox of discipline. The paradox, the proof of discipline, but also the paradox of discipline. It says in verse 11 of our passage, and this is our primary verse that we're going to be looking at today. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In the moment, we know this, in the moment when you're going through a difficult a trial or discipline, when you're being corrected, it's painful. Nobody likes it, but it bears later. It yields fruit. And it's interesting, isn't it? That often um, what seems like in the moment most difficult actually leads to what we need the most. And it brings about righteousness and joy and so forth. And on the other hand, something that seems to give so much pleasure, something that we're tempted by in a moment that may seem so pleasurable, ends up bringing death. Why do we sin? Why do we sin at all? We sin because we're in rebellion against God. We're choosing to live the life, uh, build our own life apart from God. But we do it ultimately because in the moment, the Bible even says this is true, sin offers pleasure. It feels good in a moment. If, I, if sin didn't offer pleasure, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. I'm tempted by chocolate, right? Not kale. <laughs> Hebrews eleven twenty five says this. Uh, talks about how sin is pleasurable for a season, but then it brings death. It's a lie. And as a pastor, every, every pastor I know, this is true of all of us, like you become well acquainted with people's stories, right? You are privy to, to people's personal lives and their story. And time after time after time, I've been struck by a number of things about, about the stories that I've heard. But one of them, that, one of the conclusions I've drawn from all these personal stories is the deceitfulness of sin. It's the deceitfulness of sin. People fall, and we all fall into some temptation, but right, we all have friends, perhaps this has been you. You fall into some great temptation, and the thing that seemed so good to you, so pleasing, so pleasurable, in the end, brought destruction. In the moment, it seemed pleasurable, but in the end, for, for some people, a long-term consequence is suffering and even death, right? The affair, the fling, the experience that seems so alluring in a moment can lead to lifelong consequences, the loss of a marriage, respect of your children, the loss of friendship or other relationships or other consequences, these things in a moment seem so tempting and then can end up being horrible in its consequences. Sin offers what seems like some great pleasure, but in the end it's fleeting and it's death. But the life training that he's talking about that leads to righteousness, it involves pain in a moment, but it leads ultimately to your joy in righteous living. He talks about the fruit of righteousness. And the thing that I want us to see 
And we've said it here so many times before, and I hate even saying it out loud because I don't like this, and I bet you don't either. We grow far more through adversity than we do through prosperity. I don't like, I don't like that. Do you like that? <laughs> we grow far more through adversity than we do through prosperity. It's just a fact. And I don't want to invite more adversity into my life just so I grow, but that is true. That's the reality. I hear it's like lifting weights. I mean, you know that I lift a lot of weight. You can tell, right? I mean, but <laughs> jokes. Uh, it's like lifting weights. It, you, if you lift heavy weights, small reps, you're breaking down muscle tissue in order to become stronger. It's painful, but it leads to strength. The paradox of, of discipline. And now... Finally, and longer, a longer point to this morning is this. It's the purpose of discipline. The purpose of discipline. God's discipline is, is paradoxical, but it's also, it's, it's also uh, has a purpose, has designed to bring about the fruit of righteousness. It says uh, in our passage today that the point or the goal of any training or educating or discipline is to bring about holiness even. Tim Keller said that when troubles overwhelm you, you feel like everything's out of control. And even though it wasn't your plan necessarily, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a plan, that God is not planning or have a design for your life. I'm going to spend most of the rest of our time today sharing a story with you about our oldest son. And I want to share with you also that um, I have his absolute full permission to tell this story. So otherwise I wouldn't. And I also want to share this, that I hesitate to share it in some ways because I really do not want to imply that like Becky and I are like especially good parents, okay? I think we, we do our best, but I'm not trying to imply like, oh, we are such great parents. And then I also don't want to imply that if you do the right things as parents, that the outcomes are always good. That's just not true. Um, far too often, I have so many good friends in this church who have been wonderful parents and have done the right things as parents, and yet they have children that are really struggling, and, 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 and there's often broken relationship even. And so please don't tie those things together, and yet I do want to share this story because it relates so much. Jacob is our oldest son. He's, uh, is he 26 or 27? He's 26. I'm good at math. Uh, Jacob is married to Lauren, uh, and he lives in New York City, and they love New York City. Everyone always asks, New York, oh, really, you know, do they like it? And I'm like, they love it. They absolutely love it. And I think you have to love it to live there, because it's hard work to live in New York City. You've got to hustle. They are members of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Lincoln Square. Tim Keller's son, Michael, is their pastor. Uh, they host and lead a community group for their church. Um, he is a manager of a restaurant in Manhattan, and she is an event planner. And I am so proud of Jacob. He is showing that he is a great husband. And Becky and I have been reflecting on this lately. Um, I'm actually giving a talk in Scottsdale at another church about, um, for fathers on emotionally connecting to your, your children and also um, making tough decisions and, and bringing tough love in a form of discipline, and those two things, and how those two things relate. So guys, if you want to go with me, it's, it's not this Thursday, but next Thursday, and uh, we can go together and, and do this at another church. But in, in doing that, I decided I wanted to interview my boys about how did I emotionally bond with them in good ways and bad ways, and then how, how did I exercise tough love in ways that w was helpful for them. 
And so Becky and I had a call with our son Jacob. It, was, it went for about an hour and a half. And it was, so, it was so encouraging because Becky and I are reflecting on it and saying, he really has become the man in many ways, never perfectly right, but that we had always hoped he would be. And his current chapters of his story right now are good. It's what we've wanted. It's, it's who we thought he would become. But also, truthfully, the stories, the chapters that preceded these chapters uh, were very hard and very challenging. Uh, he'd been a good student in high school and a, a three-sport athlete, and, and we thought he had a vibrant faith as well. Uh, we had enjoyed a close relationship with him, uh, but also all of our boys, really, and he was no different. His senior year, uh, much to our surprise, he decided to go to Arizona State, which was incredible for us because that would mean, even though he's moving out of our house, he would be going just right up the street from where we live to go to college. We were so happy for him, and we were so happy for us to have him so close. But nearly as soon as his freshman year began, our stress and our concern for him only got more and and, and began even greater. We started noticing differences in his demeanor, his attitude, his his grades. Uh, He quit going to church, and uh, I, I did, we did everything that we could. We introduced him to uh, all, the, all the churches in Tempe and everything, all the ministries. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, great, thank you. And then said, no, no, thank you. He quit going to church. He expressed having serious doubts about his faith. And we had growing concerns, as I've already mentioned. We, we had huge concerns about his decisions, his friends, his girlfriends, his lack of faith. And I did not like his trajectory. As, as, as happy as I am currently about his trajectory now, I was very, very discouraged about his trajectory. Eventually, Becky and I were made aware of a crisis uh, in his life, and we felt like at that point, now we are fully aware of how bad it had become for him, but sadly, he did not understand it, and and he he didn't understand the gravity of it at all. And in that very same week that we were made known about a crisis, uh, Becky's dad was in the process of dying, and she had to drive, or she had to fly out and go be with her family uh, in North Carolina. He did pass, and then just six months later, her mom passed. And so, in the midst of multiple griefs, we were dealing with this crisis with our son. And in the middle of all this, we made the extremely challenging decision to bring Jacob home from his dorm at Arizona State and actually unenroll him from ASU. He was angry, as you can imagine. He was sad. He was confused. And, but we patiently loved him and tried to offer him hope that despite how sad this was and how horrible it felt in the moment, that it was going to be okay and that we loved him. And by God's grace, about a year prior to this, Jacob had decided to go to Nicaragua for that summer, so that the summer that was about to happen at this point. He had already decided about a year earlier to go to Nicaragua to, to serve some missionaries there and spend the whole summer there. And even though his faith was on the ropes and uh, just, just a shoestring of faith, if at all, he decided to go. And while, he was in, uh, while I was on that mission field, Becky and I became convinced in our bones that it would be unwise for him to stay in Arizona when he got back. And so his last week overseas, uh, Becky and I wrote an email and we sent it to him explaining that we wanted him to leave the state for at least a year and that he needed to live with some friends of, of ours out of state. We didn't know who exactly, but we knew God would provide. 
or some family members out of state or to go to a small Christian school that was not in the state of Arizona. And that, those are the only answers we had. And we said, you can, if you choose to live in Arizona, that's fine. You're an adult. You can do that. But you will be on your own 100% financially and you will not live with us. How do you think you felt about that? <laughs> he was angry. He was sad. He was confused. We love our son. We wanted nothing more in the world to have him remain in Arizona with us. It was so badly. It killed us. It was so hard. But we knew he had to go. We just knew it. He was so angry, so hurt and confused initially, but then within a week or so, surprisingly, he told us that he really did understand why we were doing what we did, that he loved us, he understood that we love him, but he was scared, and would we help him? Would he be there for him? And that he was going to choose to do what we had asked. Two weeks later, he applied to Covenant College. Miraculously, he was accepted, got good scholarship money, and then just about a week or two after that, Becky and Jacob drove out to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to Covenant College, where he would go sight unseen and begin his, his moments there. I really, I don't have time to share the depths of sadness, depression, and the tears that we shed over that year to year and a half when we were going through that struggle. Uh, Psalm 42 became so real for me in verse three where it says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where's your God? I take, I take a morning walk almost every day. And on my morning walks, I, I would often walk with neighbors or friends. But for, for months, I couldn't walk with anyone. I just needed to be alone and just cry out to God in tears day after day after day. And to be honest, I felt rejected by God. I, was, I couldn't pray any prayers other than things like this. Where are you? You... I, moved, I was angry at God. I was confused. I was angry with this city. I felt like I moved here to plant a church so that people would know Jesus, and yet my own son is going to walk away from him? It made no sense. It, it, broke, it broke me. I, I don't have time to, to go into all that just to say it was so hard. I, I felt like we'd made a huge mistake in moving here. If we'd only stayed in Ohio, like, it, this wouldn't have happened, which, of course, is ridiculous, but that's how I felt. I don't have the time to tell you all the ways that God provided for us at Arizona State. The, the, the faculty and the administration there was unbelievable. They helped us not only get Jacob out of his semester with, with no penalty for his grades, even though he was way past the deadline for that to be true. And this vice president there not only did that, he refunded our entire semester, not only tuition and stuff, but uh, his lodging and even food that he had already eaten for months. I don't have time to tell you all the amazing ways that the Lord broke down Jacob's walls. And that's the words that he used last week to describe it to us. He said, I needed to know personally that God loved me. I needed to know that. And, and I needed tangible evidence. And God just broke down the walls. And I believed for the first time. He goes, yes, you raised me. You baptized me. But for the first time, I, I saw it. I believed it. it. My faith became personal for me as Jesus broke down the walls and showed me how much he loved me through Becky's love for him and my love for him, even with the hard discipline that we brought to him. About a year later, after Jacob's first year at Covenant College, we had this very emotional moment as a, a family, me, Becky, and him, 
where it was especially clear to him and to us how gracious God had been to him in moving him to Covenant College. And he broke down in tears, thanking us for all the ways that we loved him through that horrible and hard experience. He thanked us for the hard decision. He thanked us for making his move, making him move. He thanked us in tears. And then he said, I am so sorry for what I put you through, but honestly, now I am glad that it happened because this is what I needed to come to faith and this is what I needed to grow up and to mature as a man. And, and this has served as an extremely long story, very personal one, to drive home this point of Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. I cannot tell you how painful it was as a, his parent to go through this. Of, in a moment, it, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And again, I'm not saying that it, if you always make the right decisions as parents, there's always a great outcome. That's not the case, but, but this principle is true. It seems painful, and yet God uses, a, as a loving father uses discipline to make us more in his image and more mature in him. We hated what he went through in the moment and we hated all of the, the tough decisions we had to make. But in the end, we all came to see that as painful as it was in this instance, in his life, it brought about the fruit of righteousness. And I wish I could tell you that means he's perfect now. And the truth is, um, I used to feel as a younger pastor that if you could get a student through college, they just kind of were on the right path. And I don't see that as true anymore today. And so I, I say... I love the trajectory my sons are on. When life is difficult or we're going through some time of difficulty, it's so tempting to believe that God is against you and that he's not for you, but that's the opposite of what's true. Hebrews is calling out to say, God disciplines those he loves and he loves you. And he, he disciplines you, but this is not punishment or condemnation. It's love. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. There's discipline, but there's no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus took the condemnation on the cross. It, it would be unjust for God to condemn us now. The Son of God was condemned on our behalf so that we'll never be condemned. But he loves us, and in his love for us, he trains us, he educates us, he disciplines us. Beautifully, at the end of our passage today in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And uh, a friend of mine in first service uh, has a, an app that I didn't even know existed. It's called the Y'all Bible app. Raise your hand if you've seen the Y'all Bible app. Okay. I see that hand. I see that hand. So what it does is it shows you all the places in the Bible where you, you don't know if it's a plural you or a, or a singular you, and, and it shows when it's plural. This is a plural. This is a y'all. <laughs> Therefore, y'all lift drooping hands. What it's saying is we need one another. And so what I want to challenge you with in the gospel today as we go is this. Don't judge one another. Encourage one another. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Who is being disciplined right now? Who right now is hurting and in your life that you need to, like Aaron, come along to Moses and lift drooping hands and arms and support 
This is how we get through this, through the Holy Spirit, of course, and God's presence, but the one another. We need one another. We profoundly need one another to make it. God indeed uses trials to train and discipline us, but please don't draw a straight line every event in your life as God is, is doing this. Like instead, see that God will use everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. Nothing at all gets wasted in your life. He's at work. Nothing is wasted. God is at work. Let's pray. Lord, I pray over this congregation this morning and ask that you would lift lift drooping hearts that are sad and crushed and feel as if there's no hope. I pray for parents who didn't have to suffer a season of this kind of thing for just a year or two, but have been in it for decades. Oh Lord, would you lift drooping hearts and failing hearts, Lord? Would you encourage and give hope that you're faithful, that you love them, that you're for them, and that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus? Strengthen us, O oh Lord. And I pray for all of us, not just children, but we would all understand that we need, we need discipline, we need education, we need to be trained. And, O oh Lord, train our hearts to trust you, we ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.